Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Well, I think one of my goals is to really reach the general audience and to reach kids and get them excited about the night sky and about things in the universe, that then they will take the next step forward to get interested in maybe learning about that a little more intently or as a profession. So I'm sort of the stepping stone up to that point. And usually astronomy is thought of as a very visual field, but today's guest will tell us how it can be made accessible to those who can't see. We'll speak with Noreen Grace, founder and president of You Can Do Astronomy, about how she makes astronomical concepts and features engaging for those who can't see. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Noreen Grace. I just want to, you know, encourage people, if they think astronomy is not accessible, it is. And if if you're interested in it, or maybe like to find out if you're interested in it, please participate in astronomical adventures that are happening maybe in your community, because they may be more accessible than you think. And astronomy is, well, far out. (laughs) (laughs) And there are lots of astronomical events that go on in all sorts of places that can be a lot of fun to take part in, from star parties to planetarium shows, etc. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by NaviLens, a four-color QR code designed to be located in red from up to 60 feet away without the need to focus on it. Now, using augmented reality, NaviLens 360 Vision locates the NaviLens codes in a 3D space available for iPhone and soon for Android. More at navilens.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Noreen and learning about what first motivated her to make astronomy more accessible to people with vision loss. My name is Noreen Grice. I am founder and president of You Can Do Astronomy, LLC. It's a consulting company where I make astronomy more accessible to people with disabilities, especially those with um, visual impairment. And how long have you been doing that? Well, I have formally had my consulting company since um, 2004, but I've actually been involved in uh, making astronomy accessible since 1984. Wow. Most of our listeners have visual impairments, but I gather you do not. How did you first get interested in making things accessible to the visually impaired? You're right. I, I am sighted. How I got started was is one of those flukes, I think. Um, I was going into my senior year at Boston University, where I was an astronomy student, and I had just started a part-time job at the Boston Museum of Science. My dream job was working in the planetarium, and there I was, and it was on a Saturday, and I was taking tickets for the next show, and I noticed there were a group of um, blind people in line. And I didn't know what to do because at that time, I didn't know anyone who was blind. And I asked the uh, older gentleman who was the manager on duty uh, what I should do. And he told me 
I should just help them to their seats. He said, that's all you have to do. That's what I did. I helped them to their seats. And then I went in the control booth and uh, welcomed everyone to the planetarium and started the program. And it was mostly an automated program. So at the end of the program, I just had to say, well, thank you very much for visiting the planetarium and, and enjoy your visit to the Museum of Science. But during the program, I kept looking at the group of blind people and I thought, I wonder what they think about the program. So at the end of the program, as they approached the door where I was sitting, I came around and asked them how they liked the show. I figured they might say, yeah, it was okay. But that's not what they said. They said the show stunk. And that was very surprising to me. And actually, that I felt really bad about that because I thought the planetarium was the most wonderful place in the universe. And clearly, it wasn't not for this group of people. So it got me thinking, you know, astronomy is not really accessible to anyone who's visually impaired. I never thought about it until that group really opened my eyes to the problem. And I thought, I don't know how to fix this, but I'm going to try. And that's how I got started. What an interesting beginning. I wonder what would have happened if I wasn't working that Saturday. Really, I, I might not have ever thought of that, but I'm so glad that I was working that day. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is on how Noreen manages to make astronomical concepts and features engaging for those who can't see them. In the introduction, Noreen, you mentioned that you ran into this group of blind students in the early 80s, and then you decided that they weren't getting exactly the experience that you thought you were imparting. How did you go about addressing that issue? What kind of research or further work did you do to figure out what needed to be done to make this more enjoyable for people with visual impairments? One of the first things I did was to go over to the Perkins School for the Blind. Um, at that time, while I was a student at Boston University, I remember seeing buses going up and down Commonwealth Ave that said Watertown. And I, and I looked up, probably in the phone book, that there was a school for the blind in Watertown. So I went over there. It's a beautiful campus. I walked around and I found the library and, and I went inside and talked to the librarian. I I said, do you have any books on astronomy? And the librarian directed me to a bookshelf with very thick books. And I remember there was a whole stack of Isaac Asimov books, very thick, thicker than I've ever seen a book. I remember I took one of the books down and I opened it up. I didn't know Braille at the time, but I saw that it was Braille, but that's what it was. It was all text pages. I asked the librarian if any books had pictures, any touchable pictures and the librarian said that tactile pictures were very expensive and labor intensive so not very many books had pictures and then it occurred to me of course the planetarium wasn't accessible because the images were projected on the dome overhead they were not touchable and maybe if I could figure out a way to make planetarium pictures touchable I could make astronomy more accessible. 
Well, that's very admirable. I mean, I'm fully sighted, and my concept of a planetarium show is you walk in, you sit down in these really nice, comfortable reclining chairs so you don't have to crane your neck to see the ceiling, and you look at images that are pretty far away. So how did you um, create tactile images to go with that very visual display? Well, I didn't really know what to do at first, so I started asking the people I thought were experts. One of the places I went to the Mass Association for the Blind, I remember I met with a woman, she was in her mid-80s, and I asked, how do you make tactile pictures? And she showed me, she said, you glue string to cardboard, that's how you make tactile pictures. Well, in 1984, I thought there had to be something more advanced than that. So I kept looking, and at the same time, I thought, you know, maybe I could write a little brochure about astronomy. I'll call it Touch the Stars, and that's how that book got started, just from that idea. It took a while to figure out how to make the pictures, so I started working on the text to begin with. Wow, you talk about how old that kind of technology was, and it brings me back to when I was a kid, the only pictures I ever saw in Braille books were children's books, and they cut out little pieces of felt. So you can imagine that was uh, a lot of work by hand. And, but I've never heard of the string thing. Well, I, I didn't either, but I, I just thought that there had to be some way. But I remember um, I was talking to one of my professors at Boston University. In fact, I, I went to his office and I said, for my senior year, I'd like to do a directed study. I'd like to write a book for the blind about astronomy. And he was speechless. He really didn't know what to say, but he went along with it. And so I remember one day we were sitting on his office floor with glue and we were trying shellac and we were just trying all sticky things to see if we could make it work. In the end, um, I ended up writing the draft for Touch the Stars. But when I finished my senior year, we hadn't quite figured out the tactile part. So I sort of had half the book done at that time. Well, eventually you did finish writing that book and you've updated it in further editions. Can you describe what's in it now? Yes. Um, I was able to finish the book. I, I After Boston University, I went away to San Diego State University, uh, completed my master's degree in astronomy, came back to the Museum of Science and was able to get a grant for a VersaPoint uh, Braille embosser and using the embosser, I was able to design, I would call kind of rough pictures of planets and moons, um, constellations, and those pictures and the text for my book became the first edition of Touch the Stars, which came out in 1990. Now the book is in its fifth edition, and I would consider it a fairly comprehensive introduction to astronomy, and really for someone who is sighted or visually impaired because the text is in print and braille and the pictures are tactile. And the pictures include constellations and stars, uh, moon phases and eclipses, uh, nebulae, galaxies, the solar system. So all the topics you would think about in an introductory astronomy book. And how do you make them tactile? Oh, so <laughs> I went through some different things. So um, first I was using the VersaPoint Braille embosser and I was designing things with a 
I think it was called mouse paint. It was an old program with the Apple IIe computer. And I would make all the pictures and uh, National Braille Press uh, printed the text. And then I would send my pictures over to them and they would collate it. But now the pictures are done through um, thermoform. It's a thermoform plastic in the book. And so, and, and I think that's kind of nice because they're, they're a bit more durable and they really have um, more emphasis on the details. Yeah, the thermoform gives you a lot more detail from what I've seen. The VersaPoint was kind of unique as one of the very early Braille printers that could actually do graphics. Most of them back then would only do text. This is true. Uh, the only difficulty, well, one of the difficulties I had with the VersaPoint was it couldn't make um, really nice circles. The circles were sort of steps. So like a little zigzag around the edges. And I remember that the exhibit department asked me if I would make a picture of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And so when I did, you know, I tried to draw the Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, with his mouth open like, Arr! but instead he looked like he was smiling. Oh. I couldn't quite get the face right. <laughs> <laughs> so Touch the Stars was your first book, but you've written many others since then. What other books have you written? Yep. So Touch the Stars was my first book, and then that actually led to a series of books with NASA. And I think it was in 1999, um, I received an email from a professor at DePaul University. He had seen Touch the Stars in a gift shop in Chicago, and we started talking about, you know, the Hubble Space Telescope. And he said, it's too bad there wasn't something available for the about the Hubble Space Telescope because all these great pictures were being released and I thought, well, why not? And, you know, maybe we could make them in color and, and we could figure out how to make them tactile. And so that started the first NASA book, Touch the Universe, a NASA Braille book of astronomy and all about the Hubble Space Telescope. Then somebody at the Goddard Space Flight Center um, saw that book and said, it's too bad there isn't something like that about the sun. Well, that led to Touch the Sun, a NASA Braille book. And then some other scientists said, it's too bad there isn't something like that for wavelengths that are not visible to any human eyes, like gamma rays and x-rays and ultraviolet and infrared. And that led to Touch the Invisible Sky, a multi-wavelength Braille book featuring tactile NASA images. So those are the three NASA books. How interesting. In these thermal-formed picture books that you put together these days, do you only represent the outlines of celestial objects, or do you try to include some textual information? I do include textual information. There's a texture key for, for many pictures, but I should say that I've actually experimented with different techniques. So not all the books are thermoform. In fact, the, um, first, the first two NASA books, Touch the Universe and Touch the Sun, are embossed paper with color images so someone who is sighted can see the color image someone who um, is a tactile reader can feel it and then there's a texture key say for um, the great red spot on jupiter or gaseous bands or the rings of saturn so it, it's explained in words and then it's explained also in a texture key now for touch the invisible sky i tried something really different and it was working with a company that I think it's no longer in business in uh, Puerto Rico, but they had um, an application onto the paper. It's, it's almost like glue. 
it's kind of sli slippery a little bit, but it but it is texture. They called it techno braille. Um, it was through ozone publishing, so it's it's a bit translucent, but you can you can feel it. And the great thing about that book is that it's visible. You know, these are wavelengths that are not visible to any human eyes for that book, so everything becomes a learning experience. Oh, and I guess using that technique, you could probably add a little bit of 3D effects to give your fingers an extra sensation. Oh, uh, yes, a little. I think so, a little bit. And, you know, there's, there's one really interesting thing about that particular book. I was testing some of the pictures um, at the um, 2007 Youth Slam that the National Federation of the Blind had at Johns Hopkins University that year. And I remember in the astronomy class, there were um, people who were low vision and people who were completely blind and, and anywhere in between. And I asked the students, you know, what what is your feedback on? We were looking at, and I can't remember even the image, but I remember one student said, oh, I really like the color. There's a lot of good contrast in this picture. And I'll never forget another person said, wait a minute, this isn't color. You mean sighted people can read our books? <laughs> and I thought that was really, really powerful because that's always been my goal to bring people together, not to have, you know, special books for certain groups, but to have a book that everybody can use together. Well, in fact, when our children were growing up, we bought lots of Braille print books from the National Braille Press, and mm -hmm. they essentially had the print edition with interleaved transparent or translucent anyway, braille pages. So I could read and I had descriptions of the pictures that I could talk with the kids about, but they could see the pictures and see the text as we were turning pages. So that's a very effective thing. We saved every single one of those books of which we have dozens. And now grandpa can read to the next generation of kids. Yeah. And I know those kind of books you're talking about. And actually, when I was working on the first NASA book, that was what I was trying to do to actually interleave a tactile, transparent page on top of the picture. But it ended up that we decided to do um, embossed color pictures. And, you know, I, it was it was cost effective, but it worked. It's also nice that you were cognizant of using colors because there are many levels of blindness. Some people are partially sighted and they can see colors, they can see shapes, but they may not be able to read the text. Yes. I'm also very aware of, um, I'm always thinking about contrast and I've worked on projects beyond the books. I've worked on um, some exhibits and I did an exhibit, the kiosk with Goddard Space Flight Center that was on multi-wavelength astronomy that had different pictures of, I think it was on Jupiter on one side, and they all were highly contrast from one to another, and also some traveling exhibits for the uh, Chandra X-ray Center, which is over at Harvard, and having different contrasts for the pictures so that it was very easy to see visually and very easy to touch tactily. I understand that in addition to creating these exhibits yourself, you also make it easier for other people to make their exhibits and planetarium experiences more accessible. Uh, yes, and that's this is what I try to do through my consulting. The um, experience I've had, I ended up working 26 years at the Museum of Science in Boston, 
and almost six years at the Children's Museum in West Hartford. So I, I have a lot of experience with different types of learners um, and everybody has different learning styles. And so I've worked um, to create a book called Everyone's Universe, which approaches teaching astronomy for someone who is maybe in a wheelchair or has um, physical challenges, somebody who is visually impaired or hearing impaired, somebody who uh, does not communicate verbally, um, someone who may be on the autism spectrum. So approaching these different areas and trying to make astronomy exciting and accessible for everyone has always been my goal. This must take a lot of time. It sounds like a lot of people are approaching you these days for your expertise in producing these types of devices and books and exhibits, etc. I take it you're doing this full-time, this consulting these days. Yeah, uh, projects come and go, and sometimes I'm more busy than others, but I really, I really enjoy it. Um, most recently, the Astronomical Society of the Pacific um, brought me in on a project to make some informal educational activities that they had created more accessible. And so, you know, looking at something and maybe it involves walking up and down the aisles of a craft store or sometimes Home Depot to get ideas. Um, I just love problem solving. And usually the, the result makes it more accessible for, for everybody and more interesting. So I think that's kind of fun. Well, anything that makes it more interesting is good. People have curious minds, and if they see something a little bit different and it catches their imagination and they're involved with it, that's great. They're going to be more interested in science and be willing to learn more science. Yeah, and I think that um, kids are getting more interested in the STEM field, science, technology, engine. And I want people to know that it doesn't matter whether you have a visual impairment or any, any kind of a disability or not, or a different learning style, you be part of it. And, and I think it's enriching for everybody to get everyone's perspective. Diversity is number one. And I understand you work with the National Center for Blind Youth in Science through the National Federation of the Blind to help make that happen? Yes, I, I actually, I was, I was one of the people who was involved when that was first being formed and the National Federation of the Blind has been very um, proactive in making science and engineering more accessible. When they started the programs, I think it went back to, I remember in 2005, they had a program called the Circle of Life Academy. And, and I remember I went down to Baltimore and we went to the um, Baltimore Planetarium and we did programs there and we actually had star parties where the local astronomy groups came out and we had telescopes set up and the students could um, have a tactile tour of the telescope, learn how they were used. And then the astronomers um, grabbed images using electronic cameras of the objects they were looking at. We printed it out and then I had a swell form machine and I was able to quickly print out a picture and the kids could touch the picture that we were observing right then and there. So they were participating in it. And that's just one of the examples of things that I've been involved with in science with the National Federation of the Blind. That is really cool. You know, instead of reading about it after the fact, to actually be an active participant makes a big difference. Yeah, I know that this is working because I try to go as often as I can to the national conventions, the National Federation of the Blind, 
the last one I went to was, of course, before the pandemic in 2019 in Las Vegas. And I go to the science and engineering division meetings, and they always start off by asking people to say their name and go around the room so everybody knows who's there. So then I said my name, and, and then somebody who was sitting directly in front of me turned around and said, I grew up with your books. I, I've read your books. And because of your books, I wanted to become a scientist, and here I am. That must be very gratifying. Yeah, I felt a little old, but <laughs> yes, but it was it's great. It's great because sometimes you don't know if you're making a difference until somebody comes up to you and says, you really are. Yeah. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about accessible astronomy resources and how to contact Noreen Grace directly. Noreen, you've told us about a lot of your books and exhibits. If people want to get a hold of some of your books, how would they do that? Well, my website is www.youcandoastronomy.com. So that's all spelled out, www. Y-O-U-C-A-N-D-O-A-S-T-R-O-N-O-M-Y.com. From there on the menu side, you'll see um, accessible science books. It'll take you to the page and there are links on there to take you for the books which are currently available, Everyone's Universe, A Guide to Accessible Astronomy Places, which is part educator resource, part travel guide. That'll take you to the order form on Amazon and Touch the Stars 5th edition, that link will take you directly to National Braille Press to order that book. And that website also has links to your speaking engagements and lots of other stuff, right? It does. Yes, it'll have links to any um, speaking engagement. I've got some videos where I've done interviews, my background, there are um, opportunities for uh, museums, nonprofits, or any organizations to bring me in to do um, hands-on workshop on making uh, astronomy topics more accessible. And actually, I'm I'm going to be adding in something a little new. I'm doing a little acting, <laughs> which is something new for me, but I like new things. And um, it's on the, um, the astronomer Mariah Mitchell, who was an astronomer in Nantucket who lived 1818 to 1889. And I've been developing a sort of a one-person play about her, and I'll be putting more information soon on my website. Cool. Astronomy is for everybody. <laughs> if people have a question for you, is there a way they can reach you? Yes. It, the, probably the easiest way is um, on the bottom of my website, it says contact Noreen Grice. So if they hit that link, it will send the email to me. Do you have a social media presence? I do. Um, I have a Facebook page that um, just search for Noreen Grice. I also have on Facebook, You Can Do Astronomy. And on LinkedIn, people can find me at linkedin.com slash IN slash Noreen Grice. Noreen, what other ways can people experience astronomy? I hope that people will consider visiting their local planetarium, even though it seems like an all-visual experience. You know, hopefully the, the planetariums will have some of my um, accessible materials to make their planetarium shows um, more accessible to the audience. Because I know that some, some of the planetariums do have Touch the Stars right there available to pull out uh, to go along with their shows. So people should ask when they go to the planetarium. As we do when we go to any museum, we ask them, 
how accessible their exhibits are and if there's anything special for people who are visually impaired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. And of course, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2132. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be doing an encore presentation of show number 1844, in which we spoke with Greg Salveson and Matt Russo, a pair of astronomers who have used sonification to transform astronomical data into audio for use by both sighted and vision-impaired people. So join us next week if you want to hear the universe. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.